Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I got a bunch of stuff to talk about, but first, I want to show off that I finally bought one of those Leo Bodnar lag testers. Um, this is an awesome little device. You just uh, throw some batteries in it, plug in an HDMI cable, and then hold down the button. And as you're holding down the button, push the little photodiode up against the screen, and you should be able to test lag. Um, I only tested it on one TV so far just to make sure it worked, but I'm excited to add this to my arsenal of lag testing stuff. I have this, the LED slow motion test, the dual CRT tests, uh, and I want to start incorporating this as well as the other ones into my testing. I don't want to replace anything, because I think adding even one more layer of lag testing on top of stuff is probably going to just be a little bit more thorough for everything. But um, so far, I really love this little thing. You know, you just throw some batteries in it, throw it in your bag, and I could start randomly testing all my friends and family's TV for lag. And yes, I am that nerdy. I absolutely are going to... If I know you and I come over to your house, expect me to take this thing out and stick it on your TV. So huge thanks to Art for selling me one of his extra ones. And also, as horrified as I am to say this, uh, I'm actually selling my analog NT Mini. There's nothing wrong with it. It's an awesome, awesome device. I just... Uh, I need more funding to finish off the triple bypass testing. I think at this point I've bought five Genesis 1s, two Genesis 3s, and uh, at least uh, a handful of Genesis 2s in there. So um, uh, anybody that's interested uh, has everything that it came with. Uh, box is still in storage, so I just got to pull that out of storage, which is why you don't see the box or the controller uh, in the pictures. But uh, it's regular auction style. I didn't stick a price on it because I didn't want... You know, I don't know how much those things go for now, and I don't want to intentionally overcharge anybody. So, whoever you know, whoever wants it gets it. Uh, sorry for people who are seeing this late, way after the auction ended. So, uh, all right, enough of the time-sensitive material. Let's jump into the news. Retro Gaming Cables just added a SCART to BNC board on their website, and I believe it's both a bare board and a completed board. Um, I think the completed board wasn't added to the website when this post was written, uh, but I believe you have the choice of both. And this is based off of Voltar's open source SCART to BNC, but just with a sync stripper added to it. And just a heads up for everybody, if you don't need a sync stripper, don't use it. Adding more than one sync stripper to a chain can cause issues. Uh, if you don't need it at all, it's best to just send a pure composite sync right through. But of course, this would solve some problems for people with consoles that don't have that option that you're trying to feed through an Extron crosspoint or something. So uh, I totally see a need for it, but leave it off unless you know that you need it on. Uh, just a quick suggestion. And um, the, I'll try to update the links to have both the bare bones and the fully populated version. Um, but if not, at least you could have the fully populated one right there in the main link. I'm always a little nervous talking about arcade stuff because while I understand it, I'm not as good as explaining it as Smoke Monster is, so I'm going to give this one a try. Um, there's something called an Infinikey CPS2 board that'll prevent any of the CPS2 arcade boards from suiciding. So a quick backstory, there was a battery on the CPS2 boards and uh, a setup so that to, to try and prevent piracy for these Capcom arcade games. But the problem is, if the batteries died, or if uh, you know, if certain things happened, you could completely kill those boards and make them totally unusable. Last year, a group of people were able to create something that brings those boards back, so that could restore the functionality. And now there are devices being made that prevent it from happening at all. 
I think I remember seeing a video of somebody installing one of these, pulling the battery out, putting the battery back in, and powering it back up, and it was perfect. So um, I don't know the details of each individual board available, other than that there are a few similar methods, um, and a few awesome people in the arcade scene were working on it. And I believe the Affinity uh, CPS2 is the simplest one. Um, but basically, if you have a CPS2 arcade system, you need something like this. So please check out the article, um, check out all of the links and decide which solution is best for you. But, uh, you know, stuff like this is really important because it's, I believe it's a lot harder to bring back a suicided board than it is just to install one of these. And, you know, anytime you could make something easier and prevent something that's definitely going to happen at some point anyway, um, just by law of, uh, you know, of chance, at some point that battery is going to die, something's going to happen. So you might as well add this as preventative measures. So, uh, and this is actually a few weeks old. I just, um, I didn't feel comfortable writing the article myself. I asked Smoke Monster to do it and he did a great job. So uh, thanks to Smoke Monster. Thanks to Artemio for letting me know about it. And of course, everybody who works on these things, a gigantic thank you because you've all bought, brought some pretty amazing arcade boards back from the dead. It looks like the Japanese version of the PlayStation Classic will have games that are exclusive to the Japanese version versus the North American versions. Um, the full list is on the page, uh, and to be honest, I just I don't think that anybody's going to be happy with this. And that's not really an insult to Sony, it's just there are so many awesome games on the PS1 that there's no way you could throw just a handful in a box and have people be happy. So I assume this thing's going to be hacked just like all the rest of them. And... You know, if, uh, if there is anything to be said for this, it's probably going to be a pretty cool device for people that aren't perfectionists, but it seems like they're still going to... The best way to play these is still probably going to be original hardware through RGB monitors, the OSSC, and stuff like that. But either way, when it's released, I'll give it a shot and see what I can do. It seems that that Super Mario Encyclopedia that I talked about last week is being accused of plagiarism. There's a fan-made wiki that says that they stole certain things directly from it. And to be honest, I don't really know how I feel about this one. Or maybe I just didn't get the story exactly correct. But it seems that they did, uh, they meaning the people who created the Super Mario Encyclopedia, did all of the major work themselves. But when they were finding certain things like names of certain characters or um, you know, pictures of close-ups of certain things, they pulled right from the wiki. And it turns out that those characters never had names, so the creators of the wiki just made one up just to have a placeholder. Um, so I guess they're, uh, they're accusing them of stealing that. So you know, if that's the case, if, that's, if that is the true story and I got that correct, I'm not really sure if I'd go all the way to call that plagiarism. Um, and my, my personal opinion on stuff like this from my site is that, you know, a lot of people have referenced RetroRGB on things from YouTube videos to major publications doing write-ups of their own, and sometimes they copy and paste full sections. And when they link back to, to my site, that's fine, you know, it's, I'd rather have good info out there than have bad info, like those articles about the seven frames uh, of lag scaler thingy. But... You know, I also have have seen people take big chunks of, of my site and big uh, reviews that I've done and use them in their YouTube videos and never credit me. So that kind of gets to me. But from the other side of things, the wiki that I've been talking about doing forever that hopefully is coming to fruition soon, 
the whole point of that is so that information would be out there for everyone to use. So I would be happy if publications took efforts that are done by the entire community that we all worked our butts off to get this info here in one place. I'd be happy if somebody used that and spread good, correct, tested information around. Because I think that would be my intention with the wiki is to, to give as much of this information as I can to everybody to use how they see fit. Um, so I don't really know, I guess, how I should feel about this. And how do all of you feel about that? Um, did I get the story right for the Mario Encyclopedia? Would you call that plagiarism? And what about my opinions on how people use my work and everybody that contributes to Retro RGB? Is it as easy as just uh, crediting the original source? Uh, should it not be done at all? Or for a wiki thing, are you, should you just be able to use a Creative Commons license and take whatever you want and use it wherever you want? So, uh, I don't know. I'd love to hear what everybody thinks. Steve from HD Retrovision just posted the first entry in a multi-part blog post about engineering C-Sync. This is geared more towards intermediate to advanced people, and I thought it was a really great write-up of how C-Sync works and how it compares to horizontal and vertical sync. Um, I, you know, this stuff is just over my head. Uh, I know just enough to be dangerous with this expert level stuff, uh, but I thought it was really awesome, and anybody that wants to know a little bit more about how stuff works should definitely give it a read. Frank, the creator of the Sentinel Supergun, just released free Gerber design files for a Jammer fingerboard breakout design. So it's basically the Gerbers for something that would plug into a JAMA harness and then breaks it out to pads for use for things like maybe designing a Mr. 2 JAMA add-on and for really anybody that just wants to break out the JAMA pins to pads. So uh, anybody that's looking to add that to their design, the link is below and uh, it is a free Gerber so you can feel free to use it. One of the developers of the Mr. Project is working on a new scaler that adds sharper HDMI output as well as lower latency. I tested the latency on the basic scaler before and it's about two frames of lag. Uh, and also I think when I posted that tweet, a lot of people took it negatively as if I was putting the Mr. down. Um, it was just a statement. I didn't mean it positively or negatively and I know that different scalers are in the works. And it is theoretically possible to get an OSSC-like scaler out of at least certain cores. So um, I'm certainly hopeful that that'll happen at some point. And it looks like they're already making a lot of great progress. So a shout out to everybody on the team that's working on this stuff, doing a phenomenal job. And uh, of course, Smoke Monster and I will keep everybody in the loop for things whenever there's any major updates. And uh, I mean... I got my fingers crossed, but I think it's certainly possible that at some point we could have uh, a zero lag HDMI output at the same time as having a, you know, obviously zero lag analog output. Smoke Monster just released a full Mr. ROM pack, which I think is really awesome because it pulls down every ROM for every core that the Mr. supports at the moment. Um, and it's Python based, just like his last couple of packs. So you have to figure out how to compile it uh, and then run it to pull the ROMs down. Uh, I believe a few people have created GUIs for this, and I keep meaning to do a video for it, but I just, uh, so many videos I want to do and not enough time to do them. So hopefully I can get on that rather quickly because now it's starting to be even more important than it was before because being able to, for more people to test the mister might come down to who has time to mess with it. And I don't want to hear about people not being able to do development because it took them two hours to find the right cores and ROMs and stuff. So I'll try to push up 
how quickly I can get a video of that done. Or if anybody else wants to, if you can make a great walkthrough video of how to use that in order to, to get these ROM packs, please do it, let me know, and I will very happily promote it for you because uh, a lot of this stuff I really would enjoy doing, I just don't have time to. So anybody who wants to make a really great how to use the smoke monster packs in 2018 video, uh, go for it and please just let me know. Great news for arcade streamers. There's not one, but two JAMA VGA breakout adapters about to be available. Both are devices that sit between the JAMA harness and the arcade board and pass through the video signals as well as breakout audio and video to a VGA port plus a separate audio jack. Now, I've seen this done in the past where people basically just tap the signals right off the JAMA pins, but it's usually done wrong because you're drawing twice from the same source. So not only do you get a much dimmer picture on both the capture and the RGB monitor, but it'll really wear down the arcade board and it's not good for it at all. These were not designed to, to drive two sources. Whereas both of these boards have that specifically in the design. Um, I could see one of them looks like it's using a THS7374 chip, which definitely allows for two outputs simultaneously. Um, and that means you're not only going to extend the life of your arcade stuff, but you'll get a proper signal outputted to your capture card. So this is pretty cool. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to seeing this. And at the moment, the only solutions I've seen done right were had to be hand soldered through splitters and stuff. I'd shown uh, Cruz's version of that a few times on the podcast. And just to see a device like this that breaks it out simply is going to make it a lot easier for a lot more people to be able to stream their arcade machines. So I uh, can't wait to do a demo video of it as soon as we get one. I believe people in the Brooklyn scene are getting them uh, rather quickly. So hopefully I'll be able to do at least a short video of how it works and maybe even sit in on a stream because uh, I've gotten more and more into arcade, uh, arcade boards and uh, really just arcade gaming at all. So stuff like this is starting to get even more exciting for me. Retro Gaming Cables has just announced their new universal SNES cable that should be able to plug into pretty much any device with a SNES multi-out port. So a PAL GameCube, an NTSC Super Nintendo, a properly modded N64 should all just work with the same cable. Which is pretty neat for people that don't want to deal with the hassle or want one cable for multiple solutions. I think OCD freaks like myself would probably always just get the C-Sync cable design for whatever console that I'm using, but I'm still going to be buying one of these because uh, I could really see a use for this that would make my testing a lot easier just to have one cable that I could plug into everything with a multi-out. So I think it's uh, probably good for both of those use cases. And it also seems like uh, these are going to have um, clear... SNES adapters on the console end so you could see right through to the circuit board which is pretty cool I always like to see clear tech like this so um, I'll let everybody know when I finally get one in for testing and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it performs and if there's any difference in video quality between just a straight C-Sync cable there shouldn't be it should be identical but you know me I'm gonna do all my testing just to make sure 3D design files were just shared for people who have specific Mr. I.O. and real-time clock boards. It'll only fit boards that don't have the external LED and button pin connector. Uh, so if you have a Mr. installation that, uh, that does not have these uh, and matches the setup, maybe these 3D print inserts will help separate everything for you. A Smash Brothers fan has just released 3D print design files to make an 8-port GameCube adapter for the Wii U or Switch. 
It basically takes two of the generic four-port GameCube to USB adapters, integrates a USB hub, and then has a nice 3D printed case that was designed for it. So I love stuff like this. I think it's hilarious and awesome. And I especially love the fact that the 3D print design was made public for anybody that wants it up on Thingiverse. So uh, anybody that wants to wire one of these up can now have an eight-player Smash tournament with original GameCube controllers. So that's pretty neat. There's a fan-made Super Mario Brothers game called Super Mario Flashback that's been getting a lot of press lately. And it really does go above and beyond. Uh, it certainly isn't just a basic ROM hack or anything like that. So I felt like it was worth mentioning. And uh, it's PC only. There's a demo available for download. And I think if you're a Mario fan, it's worth at least a minute of your time to check it out. An early prototype of Clay Fighter 2 for the 32X was found. And it's in a very early state in what I would guess is using just the 32X to generate the characters and probably just a generic background using the Genesis hardware. And I just, I love stuff like this. It's so cool to see an unreleased game and, uh, you know, see how far they got with it. It was already dumped for anybody that wants to try it themselves. And I vaguely remember hearing about this on Genovi's Retro Impressions for the unreleased 32X games. So it's cool that we get to see something that was just talked about on that video. But it's not really playable, but still neat to check out if you have the ability to. My Life in Gaming just posted a video that did an excellent job breaking down Castlevania Requiem, which is Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood for the PlayStation 4. And they basically took it back to the original games on original hardware and compared each version that had been released since. And I, I don't want to spoil it because they did just a phenomenal job showing that everything that you could have asked, every comparison you would have wanted to know. And, you know, for me to say that, um, I, I'm very picky with these things. And there are a specific list of questions that I want answered when some of these new games come out. And my life in gaming hit every one of them. I thought it was absolutely excellent. Uh, it seems like using original hardware is still overall the best, although the PlayStation 4 on the, in 4K via the PlayStation 4 Pro is a very neat way to play it. And the one thing that did look amazing was that some of the 3D graphics is actually rendered in 4K as opposed to upscaled or anything. So like the picture I have here, this just looks nuts. Um, so, you know, it's still something that's worth trying out. It's not quite perfect, but if you're a fan of the game at all, definitely give this video a watch. And it is a little disappointing that Sony didn't put a little more effort into this. I mean, the game basically spawned the genre of Metroidvania, that and Super Metroid. So you would think that they'd spend just a little extra time trying to make it as perfect as they could. Um, also, it was very cool to see Carsey get a, sh uh, a shout out for his all boss, no damage runs of both Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night. So if, uh, you know, if you like that stuff at all, definitely give those a watch because it always blows me away at the skill level that guy has. Voltar just posted a video about how he took a Famicom Japanese game and added an English translation patch to the original cartridge. This video is set up in a way where you could pretty much use this as a tutorial to do that with any Famicom game, and I thought he did a great job. It was also kind of funny to see some of the backlash of people uh, who were upset that they thought that him doing it a really good, clean way was insulting the people that did it a shitty way. And I, it always makes me laugh how many people get pissed at Zach every time he puts up these videos. And the truth is, uh, you know, 
he does a great job with this stuff. And if you've put up a video that you've done a terrible job, that's not his fault. Uh, I think one person in, in particular got a little pissy because they were a bigger YouTuber with a, you know, a, a sensitive ego. But you know what? Uh, I, you know, love him or hate him, he does excellent work. This is a great tutorial that shows really good methods on how to do this, and you don't see any rat's nest of wires in his installation. This is something that's going to last uh, probably as long as the original, if not longer, because uh, he also shows the good battery cell replacements to use and all that. So if you're into this stuff, or if you just like a good, uh, good amount of soldering porn, check it out. I just wanted to give my take on the At Games drama from a few weeks ago. For anybody that didn't hear the story, the company At Games that makes those piece of crap flashback consoles and uh, you know all those other horrible things you'll see at Target and Walmart, um, they sent one to John Hancock to review, and apparently it had arcade ROMs on it and wasn't that bad. He did a review that reflected his thoughts on it and then found out that the version of that flashback console that hit stores had NES ROMs on it, not arcade ROMs. So that means his entire review doesn't match at all, and it wasn't accurate, and obviously not his fault at all. And he was pretty pissed, and rightfully so. Uh, I only met him once, but he seems like a really nice guy. And, uh, you know, things that could hurt the integrity of somebody like that, you know, that's not cool. It was a really shitty thing for At Games to do. They should have at least told all the reviewers what was going on. And then they had kind of a bullshit excuse, which I'll get back to that in a minute. So the thing that really does upset me about this is that a lot of times these piece of crap flashback consoles don't have a good, easy alternative. And, you know, this one advertises Pac-Man and there's a bunch of other games on there. You know, I know a lot of people that would love to just spend 30 bucks to play Pac-Man. You know, probably spend an hour with it once a year and that's it. And these things are pretty junky, but maybe that is the perfect device for that person. But what's the next step up? What is the next thing that you could buy that is an inexpensive, high-quality way to play some of these games on newer TVs? And a lot of them just don't exist. So that's why I, I kind of get pissed about a lot of these things is, sadly, some of these flashback-style consoles really are the best solution for a large chunk of people that would have been completely happy spending a little bit more money on the better solution. A lot of people wouldn't. A lot of people just want the cheapest thing. They want to play it, you know, have a quick shot of nostalgia and, and be done with it, which is totally fine, by the way. But, um, you know, I just wish there was more middle-ground solutions for this. Also, uh, my take on their excuse, um, you know, this is 100% opinion, so, you know, skip to the next section now if you don't care about this, but it seems really fishy. It does not make sense to me at all. But they basically said, uh, if, as long as I'm interpreting it right, they said that they had a problem with the software on the version they sent to him, so they just put some NES ROMs on it because that was already a tried and tested solution and shipped that one out to stores. Now, if this was a scenario where they knew they had, you know, they had to get it in before the holiday rush and they didn't want to spend weeks testing software, so let's just do this. I understand that. But normally, normally in a, a run of production, you have beta units that go out without, you know, without the real packaging, uh, often in, in cases that are, are just generic cases or, or, you know, 3D print cases for reviewers or for beta testers. Those don't usually get to reviewers. Those are for beta testing. Uh, those are verified. And then you have a run of production. And then most of that run of production is 
generally coming from Asia, put on a boat and shipped to their destinations, where handfuls of them are then sent air shipping to the company, to reviewers, and to all that stuff. So usually, whatever gets to the reviewers is a pull off of the assembly line, essentially. I mean, it's from the same batch that got put on the boat and shipped out to stores, just instead of taking a month to get there, it takes a day, allowing for all these reviews to come out you know, beforehand. So it's just very, very fishy to me that somehow or another, a complete inbox, everything looks exactly the way that the store-bought version looks, has arcade ROMs on it, whereas the store-bought version doesn't. I mean, you know, that's a pretty bad accusation, and that's probably not something that I should even be saying uh, without more proof. And I didn't put that in writing in the article. I'm just saying that so at least everybody who's listening to this can hear me say that this is just my opinion. But, um, yeah, it seems really shitty, and I can't stand uh, companies that do things like this. And it makes me trust them even less than I normally would. So what's everybody's thoughts on that? Does anybody have more info than I found? Uh, anybody work in manufacturing and have a different perspective on it? Because I, I certainly worked uh, for six years with one company that did hardware. And then the following six years, we were, I worked for a company that was a partner with those. So I feel like I at least have more insider info than your average nerd. But uh yeah, what does everybody think about that? Uh, and did I miss something? And what do you think? Was it nefarious? Did they personally, uh, or did they intentionally load up a bunch of arcade ROMs just to try to get a good review out of that piece of crap? Who knows? And uh, you know, I don't think anybody has, but definitely don't uh, don't fault John Hancock for that at all because he just reviewed what he was given, and you know, I, he obviously had nothing to do with any of the crappy side of things, and I feel bad that he was even involved at all. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading everybody's opinions on that. Okay, now it's time for the monthly drawing of the supporter giveaway. This month is the six-port SCART and RCA switch from Otaku. I'm going to try to get a quick review of this up before this podcast airs. Uh, if not, I'll just update the link in the description below when I do get this thing aired. But uh, let's jump into the drawing and see who won. All right, here we go. The winner of the Otaku six-port switch is... John Dubridius. Uh, Jan, probably Jan or John. I'm really sorry. I, you, know, guy, you guys all know how bad I am at pronunciations. But uh, congratulations. Uh, I hope you can really use this thing. I found it to be pretty handy. And uh, thank you so much for your support. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thank you so much to all my Patreon subscribers, because without you, none of these videos could happen. And hopefully I'll have a bunch of cool stuff coming up soon, so I'll see you next time.